Life Audio. You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us again today. And today, we have a very special interview that I'll be sharing with you. I had the privilege to speak with Cindy Morgan. And Cindy is a prolific songwriter, and she's an author, and she's released a whole bunch of albums of her own. She's been nominated for Grammys a couple times. She's won a whole bunch of Dove Awards. And her newest book is, it's called The Year of Jubilee. And I'm really looking forward to sharing uh, just a whole bunch of things that she had to share in this interview about it. But I want to mention something really quickly before we get into the interview. In fact, I'm recording just kind of a special introduction here about this interview after having recorded the interview itself, because I noticed that as our interview went on, I expected to be talking primarily about Cindy's book. But our conversation turned to a variety of life subjects that sometimes can be a little bit challenging to talk about. Cindy shared some very, very personal things. And after we ended the interview, I said to Cindy, wow, that was a great interview. And she said, you know what, John, I shared a whole bunch of things there, some very personal things that I didn't really anticipate sharing. And I said, yeah, I I noticed that you did that. And I, I asked her, I said, is there anything in that interview that you would prefer that I just take out. I can always edit. I could always delete anything that you're not comfortable with. And she said, no, actually, I I think that it was good that we talked about these things. And I hope it'll be beneficial to others and, and encouraging to others as well. And so you're in for a real treat if you choose to listen to this interview all the way to the end, because Cindy is really transparent. And one of the things that we talked about was the fact that when you are a Christian in the public eye, there are a lot of people that have this unrealistic expectation of your life that every single thing is going to go just so squeaky clean and so wonderful, and, and you're never going to have trials, and you're never going to have painful or low moments or anything like that. And Cindy really got, she got really real in this podcast and, and shared about some very challenging things that she's dealt with in her life, both in her youth and in her adult life. And so I hope you'll be edified and encouraged by Cindy's transparency. I told her afterward, I was just so impressed with the interview. I just said, listen, if there's ever a time you want to join us on this show again, you have an open invitation. She did such a wonderful job, and I hope you'll support her and her work by purchasing a copy of her latest book, The Year of Jubilee. Let her know that that you really appreciate the ways in which she's trying to encourage others. So that's who we're going to be talking to today. I hope you find it encouraging. Before we get into the interview, let's hear from our sponsors. And then after our sponsor break, we're going to be talking with Cindy Morgan. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. 
Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. All right, we're back. And today we have Cindy Morgan with us. Cindy, welcome to the Dwell on These Things podcast. Thank you so much. I love the name, Dwell on These Things. Philippians 4 8, right? We've got to put our we gotta put the right stuff in our mind. And one of the things that I like to do on our show here, and I so appreciate you carving out time to be with us, is to highlight people who help us feed our minds good and godly things. And you've certainly been doing that all throughout the course of your career. So thank you for doing that. Mm. Oh my goodness. Well, it's it has been an honor to do it. And I hope uh I was just thinking. You know, hopefully it's always been that, you know, (laughs) I mean, sometimes I've probably had some stinkers, but, uh, but, but hopefully that just means you're prolific. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a lot of songs you'll never hear. Let's just say that. (laughs) <laughs> those were those were the practice songs. Those were the warm ups. Pencil sharpeners, right? The pencil sharpeners. Yeah. But you've been you you've been nominated for Grammys multiple times. You have a whole bunch of Dove Awards. You've written songs for artists like Vince Gill and uh, oh my goodness, a, a whole bunch of others. And um, and you've released how many albums have you released of your own at this point? Uh, I believe I'm up to about ten. That's. Fantastic. I have one right here. I showed Cindy this before we went live with the interview, but right here, uh, Cindy signed this for me some years ago when I had the chance to see her live. Oh my goodness. That's right. And uh, that was your second, your second album. That's right. That's right. And uh, so, so up to 10, you've got several books. And in just a moment, we're going to talk about your latest book. But before we jump into that, I had a question for you that I was kind of curious about. Uh, I have spent the majority of my adult life in the in the public eye, serving as a pastor, serving in various forms of media, teaching at a university, things like that. And so, one of the things that I'm always curious about from someone like your like someone like you who spent the majority of your adult life in the public eye, creating content, how do you navigate? Um, you know, your desire to be a blessing to other people, but also just kind of like that added pressure and the responsibility that comes from living a very visible life? Um, I think, um, well, I think balance is always a struggle. Um, Before we push play and before we push record, we were talking about our personalities and that we tend to want to always have a mountain to climb. And so I think, I think the ability to have balance in life is a struggle. And I, and I bring that up because I think that uh, for me, I always just, I want to be the same person. I want to be the same person all the time. Uh, You know, I mean, I'm goofier with some people than I would be (laughs) with others, but, but I really want to be the same person. And so hopefully, um, 
you know, there are, there aren't two faces. And so I, I guess that I just want to, and sometimes that means that you bear something really personal, um, that you might look back on and go, Ooh, should I put that song on that record? (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I think transparency is a huge thing. And I do think that people relate to people who struggle and who are just trying to do the best they can. You know, and the irony, if you look at, you know, of course, my background is all in Christian music. And uh, but if you look at pop music and country music, I mean, those people are full of like and movie stars. It's just full of people who are consistently just like hanging on by their fingernails. Oh yeah. And the public, the, I just think the more that the more drama, the more kind of like stress and, and um, breakage there is, the more interested people are. So I think that's, that's kind of, but in Christian music, it's not so much that way. I think if you, if you kind of crash, you've crashed. <laughs> It does seem that way. Unfortunately, I don't think it should be that way. But unfortunately, I think sometimes it is. Yeah, it feels kind of like that. So Johnny Cash somehow figured out how to navigate that. He was a pretty transparent guy and yet was also very uh, vocal with his faith. And so I don't know, maybe there's a pattern for us in in him and in, you know, his, his ups and downs and his transparency in the midst of it. You know, the, I, they Johnny Cash didn't they call? He said he was a red letter Christian, right? <laughs> yeah, he was a red yes, letter Christian. Yes, sticking to the words that that Christ said in the in the Gospels, I think that yeah. was his idea, right? Yeah, it was like you know, love God and love your neighbor. I mean, he, right. I think he kept it pretty simple. Yeah, um, which I don't know. Sometimes I think, yeah, that's right. That, that's <laughs> right. Just keep it simple. Keep it simple. Yeah, we don't have to overcomplicate it. I even uh, I, w- I was having a conversation with somebody just earlier today, and uh, and she said, you know, one of the things that I appreciate about some Christians is how they can manage to hold conversations with just about anybody without coming down on them needlessly hard or anything like that. She said, I think that that's where you get your window of opportunity to actually encourage people or influence people for good. And uh, and I think that that's a, a very wise balance that that each of us as believers need to take. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I think it was Francis of Assisi that said, go preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. Um, You know, our lives hopefully are the biggest testimony for who we are, you know, for, for Christ within us. Without a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Now you recently just did something that was new for you. You're an achiever. You know, you've released a bunch of books. You've released uh, a whole bunch of songs that that you have written and uh, have been recorded all over the place. And now your first novel just came out, and it was just recently released, The Year of Jubilee. That's right. uh, Very exciting, and congratulations on that. And I I wonder, what made you select that title? What's behind that title? Well, my mother is a Messianic Jew, and um, she has talked about the year of Jubilee my entire life. <laughs> so right. I've heard that term um, a lot. But the book was actually originally so the so to back just to give you a little backdrop mm-hmm. and, and your folks and uh, your listeners, I mean, it's a Southern fiction novel, historical Southern fiction set in 1963 at the height of the Civil Rights Movement. 
Um, and it's about uh, a family, the Mockingbird family, um, who are living in a small coal mining town in the foothills of Kentucky. Um, and they are experiencing um, an incredible tragedy. And, and, and in the midst of that, uh, Grace Mockingbird, who was the main character, the protagonist, she is also, we are seeing the unfolding of not only this terrible tension between she and her mother and this really, really difficult relationship. And then what's going on in the town in the midst of, of integration and the fight against it and for it and all of those things. And I think, you know, they say that some of the, the hardest battles that we fight are within us, right? The, 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 the longing to kind of be free people, like the hardest battle is the one we fight with ourselves. Hmm. And I just thought about the, the year of Jubilee, which is a biblical term, which right. is a 50 year anniversary where all the debts are forgiven and the slaves are released from their bonds. Um, and of course, the book being set at 1963, which was the height of the civil rights movement and of all times in our history that was a huge moment oh yeah um in history for people to really kind of be unshackled and so i loved that kind of global and local kind of story of of being freed and um and so i it just seemed like the right title Mm. yeah very fitting and uh, a good analogy and you also uh, have said that the book kind of parallels some of the things that were taking place in your own household, your own family. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's inspired by my first memory as a child when I was three and a half. And uh, I did a little research on memory and like when we start to have memories. And mm. ironically enough, like that's about the time some people, it, it can even be a little younger and some mm-hmm. it's like four or four and a half, five, but, um, but three and a half is about when we start to kind of hold on to things in our memories. Right. So my first memory is of my dad lifting me onto his shoulders um, while I held my brother Samuel's red rooster named Rojo. Okay. And yeah, and he was he was in intensive care hmm. and he was dying and he wanted to see me and Rojo again. So we were not allowed in the hospital because he was in ICU. Right. And so his house, his his room was low enough that my dad could lift us onto his shoulders. And I remember looking in and and holding the rooster up and seeing Samuel, his name's hmm. Samuel in the hospital bed and he was a week away from his fifth birthday wow. uh, when he died. And so uh, that was my first memory. And then he died shortly after that. Hmm. And so my mom, who is my parents are both people, you know, my dad has passed away, but he was a person of deep faith. And my mom is a incredibly, I mean, you know, nothing is more important in her life than Jesus. And, um, right. But, you know, she was trying everything. And so she brought some faith healers in um, to to try and heal Samuel. And they told her, hey, if you've got faith, he's going to be healed. 
And, you know, I think she kind of banked on it and then he died and it was devastating for her mm-hmm. and it was devastating for my father. He was, of course, he stopped going to church mm-hmm. and my mom kind of like kind of like went all in and started going to these kind of crazy charismatic churches. And not, mm-hmm. I mean, our daughter's a charismatic. I'm not against charismatic. I, sure. I grew up actually Pentecostal, but I, but it, but she was going to some really weird you know, charismatic sure. churches. Right. And, and I think that I was the youngest. And so I grew up under that umbrella of this death and, and like how that mm. colored my whole family and, and how my mom went one way and my dad went another. I mean, they didn't divorce, but, but like the way that we dealt with that grief mm. and, you know, growing up under the umbrella of that death, it just changed everything about the way I saw the world. And, um, and so that was, that was kind of the backdrop for why I wrote the book. It was just to kind of like work through what happened. And, uh, and, and it is a work of fiction, uh, but there are some definite like touchstones in the story where, you know, my family, they they read it and they're like, oh, I remember that, you know, mm. but then, you know, the mother is not a very likable person, uh, you know, for most of the book. And when my mom started reading it, she, <laughs> wasn't, she wasn't very happy. She's like, what have and you I, done? <laughs> and I said, mom, no, no, it's just, it's a work of fiction. And, 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 and I said, look, you know, you, you are in a lot of, you are in, Aunt June, you know, there's a lot of my mother in Aunt June, which is just the most lovable character in the novel. And mm-hmm. I, and I said, you know, but but I said the mom and daughter struggle had to be hard because it was hard. It was mm-hmm. there. I mean, my relationship with my mom, like many mother daughters, it was difficult because she had been through so much, and she just didn't know. Oh my goodness. She just didn't know where to put it. She just didn't know where right. to, to put that. And so she just did the best she could. This I know. I know my mom did the very best she could, you know, and, and every generation, you know, we all are trying to do a little better than our parents did. And I have two daughters and I'm sure they would say that we've had struggles because if you're a mother, if your if your first name is mother, your second name is controlling. I mean, it's just <laughs> really hard not to be controlling because you're trying to protect and of guide and all that. And and yeah. so you you were able to to bring some of that life experience, some of that family background into some of the characters in the novel. And you, and you were mentioning before we went live here for the interview that you took your time to write this. This was a ten year process of putting the year of Jubilee together. That's right. Yeah. I did not know what I was doing. Uh, and I was talking to a good friend. I think you probably know Wayne Kirkpatrick, who yep. is just a fantastic, just talent in the world. His but, name um, is on so many things. Gosh, he is just, <laughs> yeah. And he's, a, he's been a mentor of mine for probably 15 years and a very wow. close friend. And, um, and I was talking to him because he's written two novels that haven't been published, but they're excellent. I've read both of them. Okay. And, and I was talking to him about when I first started writing it, I said, I don't know what I'm doing. And at the time, of course, I was married to a person who is a prolific novelist and Sigmund Brower, who is a brilliant, brilliant writer. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I wanted it. I, I, I just, 
I wanted it to be mine. You know, that was it. I just, I wanted to kind of do this myself. And so I asked Wayne if he had any, any advice as a non-novelist, you know, he and I are both songwriters coming at novel writing kind of from the outside. Mm-hmm. And he said, just write what you see, write what you see. And so, and that's of course called the seat of your pants <laughs> headlights. You write whatever right. you can see, but you know, whatever light um, the headlights put on it. But, but what that, and that's, and it was really the only way I could have done it. Cause I, I think if I'd have known how long and how daunting it was going to be, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have begun. Would have right. never started. So, but you know, you when you start getting into plot and oh my goodness, like <laughs> you pull one thread and you have to go all the way back, and you have to pull that out of everything. It just mm-hmm. takes so long. But but I didn't know what I was doing. But um, but I learned. I mean, really, that ten years of writing. And, you know, incremental stages mm-hmm. taught me how to write a novel. And, and I guess um, that's what it took. Well, in some ways, too, I, I can't help but wonder if if it was somewhat therapeutic in some ways, too. I, I would imagine since you wove so much of your life experience into it. John, that's absolutely right. It, it was 100% therapeutic. And also, there were things that I understood on year nine mm-hmm. that I did not understand on year one. Mm-hmm. I started it 17 years ago, wrote the first scene when my youngest daughter was about two years old. She's about right. to turn 20. Oh, wow. Um, and, and so I, I wrote the first scene and then I just dropped it. And the mm-hmm. first scene was my first memory. And right. so I think that, you know, looking at that, after the death of my father, after having children of my own and, and really going through so many stages of healing and growth with my mother, because mm-hmm. the di- most difficult character to write in that novel was Virginia, who is the mother. Right. And I really felt like I had to really walk through a lot in my life and, and with, with my, my own story, you know, to really mm-hmm. have the, the empathy that I needed to write it. Right. And, and all, all throughout the novel, you, you touch on issues of faith. So how does that really, uh, you know, factor into what you've put together here? Well, I mean, I think that when, when you are looking at the worst possible, if, when they, they talk about the 10 most stressful things that can happen in your life. And number one is the death of a child. Right. Um, you know, most marriages don't survive. It. I was going to say, you, you mentioned that your, your parents stayed together. And, and in most cases, that's not the case. So that's amazing that they were able to navigate that. I, I know they did. And, but I think, um, you know, I think if you have been through the worst possible thing, if you don't have faith, I, I don't know how you do it. I really don't know how people navigate such loss without faith. And so for me, you know, faith, uh, it is a living, moving and imperfect thing. And so, you know, I grew up in, in the South. I was baptized, the first Baptist of Harrogate, where the men all smoked 
packs of cigarettes out on the front porch, you know, but we would not drink a beer for like all of, you know, like for anything. And so there was this always this kind of hypo- like this dichotomy of like, this is really important, but this isn't. Uh-huh. And, you know, or like people who were like uh, elders in the church, but that were members of the clan, you know, I mean, it's just not simple, you know, I mean, and so when we look at what does faith look like, what does Christianity look like? I mean, I guess if we go back to the, what we were talking about, the Johnny Cash, you know, we, mm-hmm. that was before we pushed record, but we were talking about Johnny Click Cash was a red letter, red letter Christian. And that, mm-hmm. you know, he really tried to follow the ways, the teachings of Jesus. And I think, uh, man, love and mercy and grace, my goodness. And so I think I do shine a light on some of what I believe has been a, an enormous amount of hypocrisy mm-hmm. in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, not that I'm any kind of perfect example. I'm not, you know, but, but I think I try, I, I want Grace Mockingbird, the protagonist, to see it for what it is, mm-hmm. you know, to see it like, and that, and that sometimes money, you know, people who are very wealthy and who, who have everything, it's, you know, sometimes it, our need, our physical needs really draw us to God. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, grace is family, they're poor and they're looking at these families who are not poor and like kind of the difference in their lives, but also in their internal growth and what goes on. And, you know, so yeah, I am like into my core, everything in me. I mean, you know, Jesus, my faith is hands down. It is the most important thing in my life. There's nothing that rivals it, but I, but I really tried not to have a heavy hand uh, with that in the book, I wanted it to come out in a way that felt natural um, and just real people, you know, and just not no Christianese. I just I'm just super right. opposed to that. And that's I, I like thinking about that. And I like hearing you say that. I, I know that I, I felt and maybe you felt this way, too. I'd love to hear your perspective on this. But I remember some years ago. It seemed like anything that we did as believers needed to have kind of like the perfect shine to it. You know, it had to have just it had to be presented in a certain way. Um, you know, there was a fear of being a little bit too real. You know, you're even just talking about some of the dichotomy you saw with some people that were, um, you know, leaders in your home church and, and stuff like that growing up. And and you're thinking, all right, you know, I'm seeing this one element of your life, but I'm seeing this other element of your of your life here. And uh, it doesn't seem like it's matching up. And one of the things over time, I like that you said this earlier as well, that you try and be the same person in public as you are in private. That's my summary of that. And I actually think that is way more useful than trying to portray that everything is perfect, that we get everything right, that somehow the goal of life is to make it through mistake free, which is actually impossible for all of us. And um, one of my fears has been, that if that's the way we treat Christian faith, if we think that somehow we can make it through life without any bumps or errors or mistakes, that it's effectively like saying, I don't need Jesus because I can do this in my own strength. Absolutely. No, that's 100% right. And look at the 
look at the apostles. I love the chosen and how they portray mm-hmm. the apostles because they were very flawed. They were young. They were trying to figure out their life and what, what it looked like. I mean, there were, there were no perfect uh, characters in, in, in that, um, you know, in that scenario. And I think it's comforting. Mm-hmm. It's comforting. I mean, I, I'm divorced. Mm-hmm. I'm remarried. You know, I've, I've married again and I'm super right. happy, but, but you know, I, I was definitely a person who was just, you know, uh, I, I never in my life thought that I would be a divorced person. I am. And until you have been through a divorce, you don't really get it. And then, right. and now I get it. And then, and, you know, I mean, and growing up, I mean, I will say this, I attended a church, I was attending a church when I was going through my divorce. And I definitely like I was, I was red lettered. It was like, mm. okay, <laughs> you're not allowed to sing in our church anymore. And oh, it's like, no. oh, no. Wow. Okay. And, and they have their right to that. Mm-hmm. You know, but I will say this, man, walk a mile in a man's shoes, right? Walk a mile. Yeah. And because we don't know, like, you know, you, you, you pass people on the street or you meet someone who's, who's like, you know, kind of prickly or someone you work with and they're difficult and, um, or, or just people who you see kind of serious in a serial fashion, kind of make bad choices. We really don't know the back, the background. What is the mm-hmm. backstory? You know, right. and I don't know. I just, I just try and just not pass judgment. You know, I mm-hmm. years ago I was talking to John Tesh. You remember John? Tesh? Of course, I remember John My Tesh. Goodness, yes. John Tesh Entertainment Tonight. <laughs> anyway, I've written some songs with John Tesh back in the day, and and he and I were talking once, and he said. He said, I always tell, tell people that if once you learn how to, he said, learn how to love and then you can move on to judgment. Because <laughs> it's so and, hard and, to learn how to love people. Yeah, it's, it's the lifelong lesson. Do you, do you find that, you know, just as, as time goes on, that things that seemed a little bit, uh, how do I want to phrase this? Like, I, I noticed when I was younger that I was much quicker to judgment when it came 100%. to uh, so many things. And now I find myself at a spot where I think, okay, you know, maybe I even completely disagree with someone's decision in this area or that area. I just don't have the energy or the desire in my heart to be judgmental in that same way that I at one point was. I don't feel like it solves anything, certainly doesn't yeah. encourage anyone, and it doesn't put my heart in a good spot. I think it actually produces bitterness and self-righteousness and, and all of these things. Do you, do you feel that way too? Oh, oh my goodness. Yes. A hundred percent. And I think that when you're young and you're ideal, idyllic, and you think you know all that the world, all that life is going to hand you to deal with. I was talking to my husband last night about, um, that when I was 18, I signed a lifetime membership to a gym. <laughs> <laughs> a lifetime of membership. I went, went out of business like two years later. <laughs> and, and it's like, that was such a perfect analogy of my thought of, of my, my, uh, 
you know, ability to see out <laughs> into my future of like, yeah. oh, yes, this gym in Knoxville, Tennessee is going to be here my entire life. No, and I will like, always be here. And to I, use this. Yeah, I will here. never live yeah. anywhere else. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's just we just don't think we just don't know when we're young really what life is going to hand us and what it's going to take to keep going. I think that's why I love to be around older people, you know, really mm-hmm. like the elderly. Yeah. Right. You know what? Like what? Could we come up with a better name besides elderly? <laughs> or elderly. Senior? They're both yeah. like, it's, they both feel like so such an insult. <laughs> like, I like the golden people. I don't know. Right. Something, something the, the better. Wise but, sages among yeah, the wise sages. Yeah, the sages. Oh, mm-hmm. John, that's it. Is that it? All I, right. <laughs> that's it. Okay. I love to be around the sage people because right. they have survived. Yeah. They have survived it. They've weathered it. And, and most of the time, you know, when you talk to someone who's, who's made it to, you know, 80 or something, mm-hmm. man, they're just, they're not, they're so relaxed about so right. many things. And, um, that, that when you're young, you would be completely been out of shape about. So, yeah. Right. It's like they, they've seen it. They, things don't phase them the same way because they've lived through it and they've lived through much harder things. And, That's uh, right. and, and I'm even thinking here too, one of the themes that you bring up in the year of Jubilee is the idea of the sovereignty of God. And I, I wonder if we could just take a moment to m- maybe answer or, or even attempt to answer what in some respects feels like an impossible question to answer. But yeah. I think a lot of times people wonder when they go through these difficult things, right? At different seasons of our lives, you know, I've got I've got lists of things that I can point to from different seasons of my life that I'd be like, all right, that was extremely painful. And now I look back at it. I'm like, all right, maybe not as painful now as it was in the time. And then I can look at certain things from this season of life that I'm in right now. And I'm like, all right, yeah, that that emotionally wrecks me when I really think about it too much. And then you ask yourself the question, you maybe even bring this up in prayer before the Lord, Lord, you're in complete control. So why in your wisdom, why in your sovereignty have you allowed this to happen in my life or in the life of someone that I care about? When that question gets posed to you, how do you like to wrap your mind around that? Or what do you even say? I think that um, I, I think about how they liken are the world and and kind of like God's vantage point as this beautiful tapestry. Mm-hmm. Now things are working together, but when you flip over the tapestry, it looks really messy because mm-hmm. all the threads are like hanging out. And and, um, and I think, but, but when you turn it over, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my parents losing a child for no good reason, like, there's, there's no rhyme or reason why, why he had to die, but God had a reason. And I mean, I don't believe that God sends pain. I think he allows it. I think he allows loss. I think he allows us to, 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 to go through pain. And, and, and I think there's some grand plan. And I think he, he knew he knows the right amount of, I mean, what is our life for? Are we? Are, is our life about pleasing us? Is our life about our happiness, or is it about like a greater 
plan? Is it about how our like how do our lives in these small ways serve the greater purpose? And I don't know. I just think that the things we go through that feel like, man, I'm on plan C, you know, <laughs> this can't be plan A, but maybe, maybe pain, maybe the, the, the kind of pain that we sometimes walk through, maybe that's plan A. Um, mm-hmm. But I think God is always there. He doesn't leave us or forsake us. He doesn't. Right. Um, and I've felt that in my life, you know, when I lost my dad and he died suddenly mm-hmm. and, and my dad was without exception the closest person in my life and i mean Mm -hmm. he was just the most precious wonderful person he was a selfless just he was pretty dang close to sainthood i mean he was cool and he was flawed (laughs) but he was wonderful and when Mm -hmm. he died i just was like oh lord how could you do this like why would you do this and Mm -hmm. i was really unhappy with god and and yet, in the midst of that moment, I felt him holding me up. Mm-hmm. And I felt this, it's the peace that passes understanding. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and, and that was my dad's moment. Right. It was his moment to go. And, mm-hmm. um, and there's so much pain in the world. And we're, we're living in such a privileged country. I mean, there's so much pain around the world that we have no idea about. And Right. And I don't know, I guess I just, I'm trying, I try and think about the gr- the greater scheme of, mm-hmm. of, of the kingdom of God's, what is God trying to ha- make happen? What is he trying to do? And, mm-hmm. um, and, and so I, I guess I just got to trust that. And sometimes I think that that's a key word. Yeah. yeah. The key word. One of the things I've been praying lately is, uh, Lord, you know, I, I find it easy to, to trust in your plan after I see it all work out. Oh, oh that's so good. But, but help me to trust you in the midst of when things seem messy before I get yeah. to see the resolution. And in this season of my life, the past couple of years in particular, just um, in the midst of some things, it just reminded me, I need to, I, I don't need to wait until it resolves before I trust him. I can just mm-hmm. trust him in the midst of the, the parts that, that feel a little bit rough. Yeah. And uh, I'm I'm hearing that in some of what you just shared there, just this invitation you're encouraging us to to accept this idea of trusting the Lord in the midst of things that are quite challenging. Man, John, you are a good summer upper. I'm just going to tell you that <laughs> you you okay. are a good summer upper. That is that's excellent. That's that's so good. Yeah, that's hundred percent right. Well, Cindy, this was so fun to have you as a, a guest on the Dwell on These Things podcast. I really hope people will take the opportunity to check out your new book, The Year of Jubilee. It's uh, it's something that I, it's very obvious that you've poured your heart into this and that there's just so much behind it. And uh, I, I'm really grateful that you were willing to take some time to just share from your heart related to these things, but also just some of the other things that you've been uh, experiencing in your walk with the Lord. I found it very encouraging, and I know our listeners did as well. And if people want to follow up with you, first of all, I'm, I'm the book, The Year of Jubilee, you can find it all over the place. It's published by Tyndale. They make it very easy to find in your local bookstore. If you want to find it online at, at Amazon, you could find it there. But if people want to follow up with you online, where's the best place for them to do that? Yeah, I'd love for them to. 
they can find me. They can email me on my website, which is uh, www.cindymorganmusic.com, cindymorganmusic.com. And that is also my uh, Instagram handle. And of course, you know, so I get emails, direct messages, but yeah, I'd love for people to, to reach out and, and always love to hear from people. Love it. Well, Cindy Morgan was our guest today. CindyMorganMusic.com is the spot you need to visit and definitely check out her latest book, The Year of Jubilee. Thanks, Cindy. Thank you, John. If you're tired of parenting advice and news headlines that are more confusing than assembling Ikea furniture, we've got just the podcast for you. My dear friend, Abby, and I are here to help you navigate the parenting roller coaster. Should your kids be on social media? What should you tell a friend facing an unplanned pregnancy? These are just some of the many questions we tackle on our podcast. Subscribe to The Real Deal of Parenting wherever you find your podcast.